Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and on this episode of Enterprising Families we are going to be unpacking philanthropy from how you get started, what are some of the things you can be looking at as you begin this journey or if you're already in this journey and to unpack this interesting topic is with me Christoph Schmocke and he is going to be bringing on board his many years of experience within the philanthropic space, and I am so excited to have him with me. Welcome, Christoph. Hello, everybody. And my heart is jumping when I have to do with South Africa. I'm sitting in Switzerland, (laughs) cold, rainy, but uh, yeah. Absolutely. Although it is a bit um, cold this winter in Southern Africa, I must say. So to get us started, I would just like to ask you, Christoph, just to introduce yourself and let my audience know your journey in philanthropy so far and what it is that you do. Yes, thank you for uh, having invited me. So I come from a teacher family, also made uh, an education in uh, school teacher. But then I found out that I am a salesperson. At first, I did fundraising for the Cancer Society, then for a big children charity. And, you know, fundraising means you sell hope and better lives from different people in different countries. And I think I found my mission to be a kind of translate between the wealthy part of the world and the disadvantaged part of the world. I wouldn't allocate uh, geography. There's also poor people in Switzerland as wealthy people in South Africa. But I I see myself as as a kind of intermediary between those two worlds. And I had the chance to be on both sides. So on the NGO, charitable side, and also on the grand foundation side. I had never money myself, but I was appointed as general manager of grant foundations, twice from a bank, once from a shared citizen, a tennis player who has half a passport of South Africa and half a passport of Switzerland. So today I am <clears throat> running a grant foundation. So we do apply and live philanthropy. And on the other side, I am a philanthropy advisor. We have two clients a week from all kinds of cultures, which talk to us about, we would like to think uh, maybe to do a family foundation, or we have already one, which needs some changes, or we have the next generation in the family who we are thinking about how to include them in the family foundation. And those kind of questions are things which I am dealing with. Very interesting. You dive all the time in new families, new cultures, new countries, new circumstances. And that's the passion I could find many years ago and I'm still about to discover. 
Well, thank you. Incredible. Um, and as we are having this conversation, I'd like to unpack some of the gems of knowledge and experience that you've had in this journey of yours. So as you've worked with families or different individuals as they want to get into philanthropy, what have you seen are the different ways of introducing the philanthropic conversation or different angles that attract people into philanthropy and get them engaged into starting to give? So I, I would like to make a, a distinguishing between the haves and the don't haves. And mm -hmm. I think to not, today we rather talk about the haves because they grew up in a certain way. They then had skills, determination, success, failures, learning from failures, and they developed somehow wealth in a big size, in a medium size, or even in a small size. And then there comes a moment where this wealth is thought through, should I maybe share some of that wealth? Do I have a responsibility to do something for those who were not so successful, lucky, right moment, right time with the right people? And that's the moment where this idea of philanthropy comes to the mind of people. And because sometimes it's people are not so sure about those thoughts, a good way to deal with that kind of first uh, appearance of ideas is maybe to talk to a specialist of philanthropy. There are many consultants in all countries, in South Africa as well. And then you share and, and say, tell me, uh, uh, Titi, how, how did you start that thing? Who, to who did you talk? Is it your wife, your husband? Is it your best school friend? Is it a business partner? Or is it maybe a CEO of a big charity or even a smaller charity which you use to make a donation? And by starting that journey, you're going to discover very new thoughts. Maybe you will discover values which you, you live, but you may have forgotten a little bit. Maybe you would discover that other people admire you or thoughts similar to you. So you do something together with a group of other people. So there is no limits of how this journey can start or even continue. I think the one rule which is, which is important is that this journey has a kind of dialogue, somebody you talk with. And if it's shy, new, and secret, it's maybe a different person than if it's determined, already established, and now you want to do the, the best, the quickest, and the most efficient way. If you want to do the second way, you may want to go to workshops. There are a couple of workshops organized uh, by banks, by philanthropy advisor organizations, uh, by associations uh, as your city. So there you could meet other people who are in a similar situation or even a little bit advanced. And then it's about sharing, thinking through ideas, taking that good idea from that uh, other person, 
being aware of never do that from this person, you know, it's also the not do's. It's not only what I would like to do in such a journey. Sometimes I say the more important is what you do not want to do, absolutely not. And in, in, in the dialogue and in the ping pong way of sharing ideas, you then clarify a little bit your journey. And that's a, a very uh, interesting uh, process. There are two conditions. The one is open mind and the other is dive deep. And I mean deep in your own mm -hmm. identity. Thank you for that. What have you seen has been the key motivators of people getting into philanthropy? I wouldn't say there is a key key. What I would say is it's important that you find your motivation, Sitsi. Okay. And let me give you a few examples of possible motivations. Mm -hmm. The one can be a personal experience. If my mother dies from cancer, I couldn't do anything and she died very badly and I was very, very sad and helpless. It could be that in kind of promemorandum of my mother, I would like to do something which is related to cancer research or cancer patients. So it's a kind of personal experience. If, if you have a sick child of a certain disease, you probably will go for that disease because you, you know what you're talking about. So another motivation could be justice. The feeling of it can't be that we live in this city or in this house that way. Um, and, and there is a, a kind of want to change the injustice situation. That's another motivation. So it's rather a, a kind of uh, intellectual approach. The first was an emotional approach. The second one is an is a intellectual approach, which has to do with a lot of arguments, with a lot of reading, with a lot of where are the best moments or places I can change injustice in, in my way. A, a third could be a kind of peer pressure. If you are a startup entrepreneur, and your other guys who were with you at university and now also are in a startup phase. And these guys all do some charitable things. You know, the one has his foundation. The other one is a, a big donor of WWF. And then you feel, oh, maybe I should also do that. And uh, it depends of peers in a kind of an in, uh, internal pressure. Or if you are positioned as a successful entrepreneur, you know, you are in this uh, uh, economy, magazines, and you're featured, then people always will ask you, so how did you do your company? And then you can answer. But then they will ask you also, and what do you give back? And this pressure can, can provoke that you think yeah, they are right. You know, I, I just earn a hell of money and, and I don't know, I never thought about it. So that, that's a fourth argument. Another argument can be religious. There are people who are very grateful uh, to, to their God, whatever, whoever that God is. And there is a kind of duty, moral duty, based on their faith, that they would say, yeah, uh, you know, I, I have to give a 10% of my gains somehow back. 
and it is demanded by my ethical or let's say religious ethical spiritual behavior and there are a couple of others is it maybe also a kind of a pressure of your kids mm -hmm. so that uh, special with men they have uh, worked like uh, hell the kids never saw them when they are 20 they said yeah that and now we are rich but uh, it didn't really help me when I grew up and I wanted to talk about my problems, should I make my fingernails or not? You were never there, you know? And there is then a bad conscience in a way, and it could be also a motivation to say, okay, uh, children, let, let's do maybe share some of that wealth with uh, a family foundation. So, and more, uh, I just mentioned a couple of them. The important thing is when you start that journey of philanthropy that you find out what is my motivation. And if you are alone, that's even easier. If you have a partner or family, siblings, brothers, sisters, children, it becomes a little bit, I wouldn't say more complicated, but more complex. So you would have to have uh, ask, include, take the time to talk. We do a, many workshops with families where there is the patriarch or the matriarch who starts. And then I see, oh, that's very important for that person that there are other people involved. So then we, we invite those uh, initiators to maybe take two, three hours together and do a kind of put the cards on the table workshop with the inner family, not with all the family members, extended family members, but let's say five, six people who spend an afternoon and think about what would be philanthropy if we would develop it. And as you're saying that, a question came up in my mind. I know sometimes people, when they start out, they probably um, are motivated by one of the different spaces that you mentioned. Is it okay for people to? change uh, in terms of change where they decide to place their philanthropic thrust as they grow as they they um, evolve as individuals um, and I know this is an important question to some of my listeners because they may start out being motivated by one thing but as they grow and as they give back and they see other things that motivate them they might feel I want to focus more on this and probably move away from the initial motivator. You know, a, a philanthropy journey is never, does never come to the end. It's an mm -hmm. ongoing process. And, and moments where philanthropy can be reviewed are new people in the game, mm -hmm. children, new partner, mm -hmm could be a lost where you lost somebody which you did something with that person and now this person passed away. It also could be your wealth situation changes and you could say, okay, I, I sold now my company. I earned a lot of money. I buy some nice houses somewhere, but I still have a lot of money. So what can I do? So <coughs> absolutely. The, the theory says that every five years you should review and take a moment to review what you do and what you have. 
And probably the best is with an external person so that this person asks questions which you even don't have in your, in your head mm -hmm. because you are deep in the thing. <coughs> and in that review, uh, we just did one at, at, the, at the Julius Baer Foundation where I'm working. We did it after five years because we have to apply the theory if we teach the theory. Mm -hmm. And we would say of six key questions, we had three confirmed we are on track. Mm -hmm. One, we had to say, okay, we did something, I wouldn't say wrong, but not good enough. So we have to change that quick, fast, consequent. And on two, we saw, ah, we do some, but it's not good enough. So what can we do to do it better? And, and that's a, a ongoing learning. You don't do that every year, but you do that after, as I said, five, six years. And that is also revitalizing the philanthropy project because from such a process, you also will have some very new ideas, which give you the new kind of uh, petrol in the engine of philanthropy to say, okay, now we, we're going to go on gear five or, uh, you know, get some new speed again. So this is part of the story. It's a... Uh, it's a, an opportunity and not a burden to review philanthropy. And as I said, you may have made donations the, the last 10 years and now you have some more uh, money available. Maybe you would then do a foundation, which you never thought five, six, 10 years ago, or the other way around. Your foundation is just not big enough to you know, function. So you may want to decide, okay, why we don't take one strategic partner organization and we don't have to look for projects and evaluation and reports. We just take that NGO and that's our strategic partner. And then you reduce the philanthropy of a foundation into a strategic partnership with one organization and then the work will, will be less and the impact may even be more. Mm. And as people go into this philanthropic space and they, they're building out what they want their journey to be like, what are the different options that they have in terms of structures for their philanthropy? So there is, we always say there's a handful and there are maybe some more, but let's let the, share with you the, the most important. So the most common is, uh, a philanthropist has a couple of organizations, most he knows, and will donate in a regular continuing base to those three, four, five organizations. That's one option. So it's donations to charitable organizations. It can be the church, it can be a, an orphanage, can be a medical research center, whatever. This is donations. Uh, we call that charitable philanthropy. Then another option could be what we talked before to decide to make a family foundation. Then you have to regi register the foundation. Um, it takes some time and some administrative work. It's not, it's not magic, but it takes some time. And the purpose is that this foundation will have an endowment an amount which you park 
on that foundation. And then uh, the revenues of the investments of that endowment will be the money which you can distribute to partner organizational projects. The endowment normally, I don't know enough the South African legal situation, but the endowment you can't take back. So that's given away. And, uh, and, but what you do then with the revenues, how you invest in endowments, there you're relatively free. So you create your own foundation, that's option two. There is a sub version of that. Instead of making your own foundation with an endowment of, I don't know, 10 million rand, you can take a foundation which is eating down that endowment. So you, you say, I register a foundation with 10 million rand, and every year I take half a million away or one million away. And that means in 10 years, this foundation is, uh, is uh, finished. You know, there's no money there. The good story is you then can decide to create a new foundation because maybe at that time your children have new ideas. You wanted to do cancer research because of your mother and your children want to save rhinos because they want to show to their children animals in the Krug Park, you know. So this kind of uh, going down foundation is the third version. A fourth version could be that you, as I said, you may not have very much money, a couple of hundred thousand rand, which you can distribute per year, and you give that money to one or two or three preferred strategic partners. You take a project from the Red Cross or, or from whatever organization which you think it's a, they do a good job, and you ask them, can I be the godfather of that specific school or of that specific project? And I commit myself that I give the next three or five years 300,000 rand for that specific uh, early childhood education center. And so the partner organization will treat you as the main donor of that thing. And you're going to be, we use the word sometimes, godmother or godfather of a project. That that's a very pragmatic and very kind of closed, involved uh, way of, of living your philanthropy. And the last I want to mention is a kind of uh, be or become part of a, of a co-funding system. So, you know, there are uh, big initiatives in South Africa. There is one called Elifa Labantwane which aim is to bring uh, small children age two to five, six into decent and well-organized uh, early childhood centers. And there are uh, two, three big foundations, South African foundations, which are in the lead. But there are a couple, I would say a truck full of, or a, a, a a bus taxi full of small foundations which say we only can give 300,000 rand. We like the idea. Can we join that initiative, this city for Lamantwale? And that's a, a fifth thing. You have to accept that somebody else has the wheel in, your, in his hands or her hands, but you are in a very well organized, uh, impactful driving car because these guys are really systemic relevant organizations. With the Roger Federer Foundations uh, Foundation, we had 
a couple of other donors, some known, some not known, who said, okay, Roger, what you do in, in South Africa, in Malawi, Zimbabwe, and, and other countries who, who are around South Africa, we like that, but we don't know, and we don't have the time. We may not also have 50 million Rand to do that, but, but we could give a, a million Rand or, or 500,000 Rand into that idea. Can we become co-founders? And the word is co-founder into a bigger story, systemic philanthropy, we call it, where there is one or two leaders and five or 10 uh, kind of, I wouldn't call them followers, rather better the word is co-founder. And that allows you also to be part of a group. So you learn within that group because this initiative may want to meet once a year and then you see other people who do the similar thing as you and you then get into that word, world of philanthropy in a kind of smooth way. Your journey in philanthropy has been 30 years and counting. After all these years working with different families and working on incredible projects, what are the five do's and don'ts when people are working in philanthropy that they need to be aware of and when they set up a philanthropic venture? So how many do's you want of the five and how many don'ts? Do you want rather a warning <laughs> feedback or do you want the motivational <laughs> feedback? Tell me, Titi. I think um, the motivational feedback are definitely on the do's and on the don'ts, the definite warnings of um, be aware of this. I think it helps a lot when you um, have someone of your experience to be able to share some of these pitfalls because sometimes we go into things with the best intentions and we think we're doing good, but then um, it can, there is also a dark and ugly side when you do things without thinking into them or without knowing how to do them. So we're here to learn and we'd love to know what are your do's and don'ts, maybe three on each. Okay. So the first do is share your wealth. You are advantaged and from a social cohesion point of view, I think we have a duty to, and I don't like the word give back, but to make other people access to things which for me it's normal, for them it's not normal. And, and that's for me an ethical thing. I, I'm not saying religious, it's an ethical thing, a moral thing. And for me, upper middle class or even wealthy people, entrepreneurs, families, individuals, I would hope that they feel a kind of duty, call of duty. So my first do is please take that responsibility with the means you have, but do something, one do. The second two is, if you want to do something, go and get a specialist. You don't take your hurting teeth out with an own tool. You go to the dentist. So philanthropy is not, and that's also the worst or the biggest don't. Don't think philanthropy is doing 
good. Philanthropy deserves to do it as good as it can be done. Not as good as I, Christoph, or you, Zizi, can do it. There are people who know better. Go to them and let you help. Ask them how your idea could become a, a real impactful and meaningful and responsible philanthropy. Another don't is careful think about how much money you have. In Switzerland, very wealthy country, there are 13,000 uh, foundations, whereof 90% of the foundations have less than 10 million rand to distribute. So the main problem of those 12,000 foundations is fundraising. And that's what you do not want, because if you want to give, you want to give. You don't want to look all the time after money because the project is higher than you can afford it. So you have to, to make uh, uh, calls and your friends and asking. So if you don't have enough money, maybe choose another version of philanthropy than your own foundation. The, the, the last do is, if you do philanthropy, consider to let the implementers make the decision. Because you have the money, you shouldn't order. Because you are making the donation, you shouldn't tell to a school, yeah, but do the school this way and teach that different. You know, there is a kind of respectful way of philanthropy to say, I am the person, maybe I am an entrepreneur, but I accept that uh, helping children or saving animals who are at risk is another competence. I don't have it. So uh, you really trust to that other organization person uh, that they do the best they can. And uh, the last don't, then I have, I think, three, three is um, be not not transparent. You pay a little price if you are transparent. Other will know and you may be asked, hey, Titi, uh, I saw you make a donation to that organization. I also need money. So this is the downside of being transparent. But I think the, the benefit to show to peers, to other people that you do engage into the social cohesion of a country, of a city, of an industry, it's worth more than the little administrative letters you will have to pay, you, you will have to write because other people saw that you make a donation. So live a certain transparency, have a certain system, be determinated and consequent on your system, but don't make it in the secret way because that doesn't help the industry of philanthropy. That doesn't help the kind of reducing the gap between the disadvantaged and the wealthy. So those are a couple of things that the list is endless, so many, many more things, but those are maybe a couple of key don'ts and key do's which I can share with you. Thank you so much once again, Christoph, for joining us and um, sharing your gems of wisdom and your experience. Is there any final parting words you would like to have my audience take home with them and have a think about as they go on to this journey? Yeah, I want to 
to make the bridge between me as a, a Swiss uh, citizen and uh, South African permanent residence holder. And it's a quote of Nelson Mandela, who said, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And in philanthropy, you can't lose. Even when you had put money on the wrong project, which happens, happens to me as well. And I'm 30 years in the business. It's not a, a loss. It's a ah, shame. I didn't watch enough or there was flooding. And, you know, things can happen where, where uh, a project didn't develop as you want. But for me, then it's not a loss. It's a learning. And, and that's the kind of acceptance of going into philanthropy you will never lose. You learn something or you could really change lives or... Uh, or protection or diseases or whatever and uh, it's worth it and I, I can see it is not only good for me it's also good for those people which uh, know that we work in philanthropy and you can maybe then mobilize other people to do that so my thought I never lose either I win or I learn once again, thank you so much, Christoph.